I'm on a Twitter thread that we call Just Be Social, which is now about 35 people who talk throughout the day on different issues, usually current events. Sometimes it gets deep and heated on gender issues, sex, economic models, etc. We've become pretty good online friends, I guess you would call it. <clears throat> it's definitely helpful in this current moment of social distancing. I've had other people from this thread on this podcast. Molly, I think, was episode two. And Brenda, I think, was episode 14. And I plan to try and have more. This episode, number 34, is an interview with my friend from that thread, Teresa, who's a badass mom, once lived in Japan, and is pursuing her MBA while working full-time in the Portland area. We actually started this discussion with some USA versus Japan comparisons because I've never been to Japan and I know nothing about it really. P.S. though, I do think in episode 23, my other friend talks about the general idea of sex robots in Japan. So we're going to start on USA Japan, then we'll get into motherhood, cuddles, gender equality, and more. All right, let's go. was there they had just changed the the insurance laws the life insurance laws because at that point that was right as the recession was hitting right Uh and so you'd get these huge companies that were starting to go bankrupt and the ceos were deciding that if they threw themselves off a building their families could take the life insurance money to keep the company going jeez so that's like is that like just part of their it's just part of the ethos or coda. Like I've yeah. seen, I saw a true crime once where the guy was stationed in Japan for military for like six years, came back and he was living in Sacramento and like basically his wife died. He got um, arrested for it. And like in the court, when he was in court, he had like a breakdown screaming about like dignity and like samurai code and stuff. And that's like what people take from the trial. Not that he theoretically killed his wife, but is there just like, is it a, like a much higher degree of like uh, honesty or accountability? Or would you say like, where's the gap between like the Japanese thinking and the American thinking on those lines? I think I can best explain it with telling um, kind of a, a small story on on how yeah. they do garbage. So when they take okay. out the garbage, um, each house doesn't have its own coat like uh, trash can they push out to the the road because that they just don't have enough space for that. Um, you got to understand these streets are hundreds of years old in some cases, and so they're quite narrow. So what the f- communities will do is each community will have this uh, basically a it looks kind of like like a dog crate, like one of those fold down dog crates that you see, but it opens in the top and you all put your garbage inside and the garbage man comes and empties it. But they have um, three different kinds of garbage. So they'll have burnable garbage, they'll have recyclables, and then they'll have plastics or non-burnables. Mm-hmm. And you have each day, you have an hour time frame to get your garbage to the curb. And you all put your garbage in a clear bag so that they can see if it's all the right garbage so you didn't mess up. Now, in my community, it was totally fine because if anybody messed up, it was probably the the American girl. So we'll just drop this garbage <laughs> on her doorstep, whether I did it or not. 
And if I didn't get there in time to pick up the garbage and take the right one out, the crows would tear the bags open and get the community all dirty. Well, if that happens, it's fine. It's the American girl's fault. So she'll clean up the community since this is her garbage. And so that was, it was so honor shame based that it was like, if there was a mistake, the only one who could have fallen out of line is this person. So we'll return it to him. Right. That would never happen here. No, never. There's almost like honor and shame are almost like abstract concepts to Americans in some ways. Oh, completely. They're not like actual like executable concepts. Whereas like what you're describing, first of all, the community trash thing is kind of cool at base, but then the aftermath of it is kind of like, oh, okay. That is very like honor code driven, which is not Mm -hmm. something that would really work in like any part of America that I could think of, you know? No. Yeah. And I wish we could, because I think we would benefit quite a bit from that. Um, you know, particularly now when we think of like social distancing, right? In communities like Japan, you wouldn't be seen out because that is you are shaming your family and putting other people at risk. Here, so, don't tell me how to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't like stick to your side of the street. You know, stick to yeah. your lane. Do you? Um, uh, so were you in like Tokyo area or some other like smaller area, or where were you when you were there after college? So do, 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 do. after college, I lived on the biggest city on the western shore of the main island called uh, Niigata. Um, okay. If you look at a map of Japan, you look at the main island, there's a little island off the coast. I was mm-hmm. at the city that would you could get the ferry to that little island. Okay. And what, because um, I feel like Americans have no conception of like asian urban area sizing either so like how how big are you talking like for that type of city so that city they they considered themselves countryside um they were probably 150,000 um okay and i mean they had a thriving downtown but they they considered themselves pretty backwater which was kind of funny um but yeah, it was a two-hour trip straight line from the from Tokyo on the bullet train, so I was pretty close. And then uh, this is just me being completely naive, but so like language-wise, um, were you you were you English first? I mean, you started and then learned Japanese after. Was that your progression? Kind of. Um, yeah. Okay, so I was born in America, born in California, okay. and then we mm-hmm. moved to japan when i was a year and a half old oh okay we we lived off base so i grew up learning english and japanese about the same time so uh so yours is different but would you say like is for a native english would japanese be super hard intermediate hard or like not that complex it feels like it would be hard if you were older i know like language is easier when you're younger but do you, would it be like, generally speaking, super hard? It feels very different, but I don't know that much about it. You know, I think when I studied linguistics in college, what they talked about is all language is hard. All language is different. You know, Um, if you took, it depends on how you approach it. Like if you just went to Japan, you had no English contacts and you just had to learn it, you could probably pick it up in six to eight months. Okay. Uh, But that is like trying. 
you know, um, it's not going to come easy. Like when I lived in Japan, a friend of mine, uh, we went out to lunch. She's fluent in Spanish. We went to an Italian restaurant. Her and the owner had this weird conversation where he spoke only Italian and she spoke only Spanish and they fumbled a language, like a, a, a storyline together. It was incredible. Huh. Um, so you couldn't do that, but um, you could definitely, you know, learn it in a, you know, a decent chunk of time. And then what about um, for your daughter? Are you trying to do Japanese or has she started Japanese? What's your context there? You know, I wanted to. I really did. But I just don't have, you know, enough support. Like it's it's not like we have a Japanese immersion school and right. it's not like my husband speaks it, too. So it would be I mean, I'm, that's a cop out. Right. If I really wanted to, I could say I'm only speaking Japanese and he will only speak English and we will make this work that's a really hard thing to actually yeah. say and then do. And no. so I'm, like, I'm lazy. Yeah. Day to day life. That's a super hard thing to actually right. do. You know, especially like if your husband um, fully spoke Japanese and it was like possible to household immersion it, that would be one thing. And again, laziness could still come into play there, but that would be like one thing, but on a split like that, I don't think that would be, um, there would be a lot of challenges there for sure. Like I would never oh, yeah. fall for that deal. Has she been to Japan in the, well, I don't know, is she like six or seven years old or She's something? seven. Yeah. We, we want to, no, not yet. Yeah. It's, it's something that we definitely want to do, you know, definitely as a family. Um, but it's, it just, we haven't had the capacity at the time, you know, like right now I'm getting yeah. my MBA and my husband right. wants to go to coding school. So, right. you know, we want to get all the, our education done before, right. you know, we start international travels. Yeah, for sure. I have a, um, I have a friend from church who's dead. It's like the main, he's like one of the main Lockheed Martin um, salespeople to the Japanese government. So he's based in like Maryland, but he's always in Japan, right? And right. I think on this right. on this wave, like this Corona wave, I think he got. I think he might actually presently be in Japan without like a clear path to return to the United States. Oh. Um, he was over there doing some like deal thing in Osaka, and I think he's like. I don't want to say quarantined, but he's like in Japan indefinitely, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know? It does, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so this is like something I ask a bunch of people, and it's like an on the spot question. So you don't have to have some amazing answer for it by any means. But um, let's say like late 20s early 30s i mean you have a kid so a lot of people that have a kid will answer like along those lines which is totally obvious and true um what are some of the things you feel like as you've become more of an adult or like grown into yourself like what are some bigger realizations that you feel like you've had either about like yourself or just like the world as a whole or like any mantras that you develop I know you do like um, some karate stuff as a yep. fitness outlet. And there's a lot of like personal development there. One of my friends here actually coaches like youth uh, karate. He has like a studio now. So I know a little bit about that world through that. Um, but just like <clears throat> maybe in the last like five to 10 years, kid plus beyond that, like what are some of the things that you feel like you've 
grown into as an adult that either like maybe you did or didn't expect to like realize at the time you know like i said you don't have to have some otherworldly answer to it i always just find it interesting like the process of people coming you into know, themselves yeah i i honestly i think I, I think i've got a good answer for this um Wait. there's a uh are you ready for me yeah go ahead okay there's a a concept in karate called uh, Sen no Sen. And it's mm -hmm. this idea that I am responsible for my opponent's actions. Um, and what, let me back up a second. So I have a challenging kind of personality. Like I will find holes in things. I will raise my hand and be like, no, I don't want to do it for these reasons. Um, I'm, I'm typically the one thinking around things and trying to, to penetrate and try to make things work. That's, that's my personality type, um, which can be confrontational. So in my twenties, I was very like black and white. If KPI Kevin was wrong, let me tell you, you know, I'm going to call you to the carpet. Um, yep. and so that doesn't fly well, right? Like, nope. and I just didn't believe in, in corporate politics and I'm just going to bulldoze my way through. Um, but then as I've, I've really started studying this concept of, I am responsible for my opponent's actions. Now in a fight, that means I am not to escalate it too fast so that I don't, you know, like, let's say they start to slip and they're coming at me and I annihilate them because they were going to fall on me. That was probably a, you know, a bit overreaction. Um, but it also means that I'm trying to de-escalate at any point in time while keeping safe. Now, this applies in interpersonal relationships, too. So KPI Kevin is wrong. It doesn't mean I come out guns blazing. It right. means I try to see it from his side and lead him to my point of view to where he thinks it's his idea that I'm right. Yeah, that's like that's a that's like a mind blown moment, because, I mean, I feel like I've always struggled with the same stuff where it's like, um just not even like I feel like as I got older I probably had less reduction in like blazing although I can still do it um but it's like that it's just a much more quote-unquote woke way of thinking where like you're responsible for your opponent slash leading them to where you ultimately wanted them to go anyway you know yeah yeah and I had never um <clears throat> I never conceptualized that that way, maybe because I've never done karate, you know, but that is cool. <laughs> and it, I mean, I could even see like it even has beyond business and like KPI Kevin crap. It has impact in any type of relationship in reality, you know, because okay. I have a, I have a friend that works for Snapchat and he's been like. He's like probably mid thirties and he's like had all these like one to two year relationships and like his thing is always like, uh, he's like, do you ever notice when you argue with somebody in a relationship, it feels like the goalposts are always changing, which is like, I don't a hundred percent agree with that. I think that's a perfect type of argument that people in a relationship can have. But um, if you, I almost feel like if you took the send no send thing and applied it to um, even romantic relationships, it has validity there, right? Oh, Which yeah. is like, oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I know Hugs and I, when we're talking, 
we get in when we get into arguments and whatnot, but I think one of the big pieces that uh, someone said and it, it resonated, you spend the first part of your marriage trying to figure out how to live with somebody. Um, yep. You spend the last part of your marriage figuring out how to die together. Yeah. And that's yeah, pretty that's, cool. I've never heard that. That's really cool. It changes everything because you're like, I need him to like me. I need him to be able to feed me when I'm in when I'm an invalid. Okay, we need to change how I'm talking to him now. Right. Um, okay, so then I was just asking my other friend this um, that I just did an interview with before. So I, f- I don't know if I'm doing the math right, but what? how old were you when you had a kid? Probably like late 20s, mid to late 20s? Yeah, I was 29. Okay, cool. So, um, So like, did you... Did you feel there was like any, I don't know, like your friend said at the time or now, did you feel like there was any like keep up with the Joneses type pressure deal? Because I feel like I see that among some people and this is completely not based on actual data. And even if it was, it would be a correlation, but but I feel like, the people I've known in my life where it feels more like a keep up with society or what my friends are doing thing, mm-hmm. they end up being like superficially and you don't really know how people parent unless you're like in the household, but superficially they always feel like crappier parents from a, just like a analysis of like, you know, the 10 times a year I might see them in a parenting situation. And then like the people that seem to like really want it for like uh quote-unquote better reasons um they it feels like they are more proactive and do kind of like better job of like early years parenting so like i don't know what your friend circle was like at the time did you feel like there was like an inherent pressure or or were you guys just kind of like insofar as anybody's ready for that type of life milestone you're like oh we're at a place where we're ready or was there like kind of just like it happened or like what was the process that went into y'all's arc with it the good news is we didn't have any pressure um but when i moved back from japan i didn't go back to california because the recession was still going on and i thought if i moved Mm -hmm. anywhere i would end up moving back in with my grandparents and i was like nope not happening i figured portland was far enough away that if something happened, I could get home to help people, but there was a geogra- or, yeah, geographical barrier to where I couldn't just run home because it wasn't working. Um, and then I imported my husband up because he and I were best friends in high school and we you know, got married, did all that. Well, I didn't know I could get pregnant. Matter of fact, I'd been told that I couldn't, not without mm. significant intervention. Um, and so I was very honest about that. And I said, look, this, I know you want kids, but that may not look what you think, you know, like we may have to, cons- you know, consider other route, like other right. routes. Right. Um, and he was really, you know, very loving and very good about it. And um, I was so convinced I couldn't have kids. I was almost through my first trimester before I found out I was pregnant. Oh, damn. Really? That's, yeah. Like that's beautiful and insane at the same time. <laughs> everybody around me knew I was pregnant, but, but yeah. Huh. That's fun. So we're talking like legit, like eight to 12 week region, right? Yeah. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
and I I was text textbook throwing up all the time, and huh. it was I always had an excuse. It was oh I've I've been running a lot, so I just hit a, a fat pocket of toxic stuff or something. Right. Oh, it just food poisoning something, and it, I didn't recognize that I had an excuse every day of the week. Huh. That's funny, man. So when 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 you realized it, was it like was it like immediate? uh blessing deal or were, was there like a anxiety in that moment or like what when uh, upon the initial realization where were you at kind of like emotionally on that you know it was it was kind of panic inducing because you go yeah. from this isn't an option to what is happening and nothing makes sense and so then I told Mike and his response was this is great and then he paused because he realized I was being quiet and he goes wait how do you feel <laughs> that's funny that's and then it. i said i'm shocked and he goes okay okay let's help process that and he was like really good about it and then it was that's like cool. okay no this is awesome yeah so what um okay so do you what's your whole what's your whole bag on motherhood conceptually so like obviously it's super important probably like maybe the strongest brand we have out there definitely like mm -hmm. above any corporate type brand that people will put in a powerpoint or whatever let's say motherhood matters a lot more than apple or anything but uh, uh what like do you buy or like do you buy into like um everything about how it like changes the world or do you see it as like you know, you do the best you can and like some days it's like a, a super struggle and some days it's amazing. Like what's your overall quote unquote attitude or ethos on like being a mom? You know, I think as as a mom, it is both the highest highs and the lowest lows. Yeah. You know, I, and feel, like, I feel like people that are like very self-aware can say that, which is mm -hmm. super cool because you meet a lot of women um, like, uh, you meet a lot of women who are like, oh God, it's the greatest thing ever. And then you see them actually be a mom <laughs> and you're like, this doesn't look like it's the, they feel like it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. When they're uh, screaming, put your shoes on <laughs> for the love of everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So you, you would say like, it's high, high it's like highest of highs, lowest of lows. Highest yeah. of highs and lowest lows. Um, and it's, it's amazing because there will be times where um, there was there was one conversation not too long ago where my husband and I were having a terse discussion in the in the kitchen. And I was just frustrated because he just wasn't listening to me. And my daughter is pretty aware of everything. And she walks into the room and she says, hold on real quick. And we both stop and we look at her and she looks at me and she goes, Mom, when you're ready, if you need cuddles, I'm here and like walked out. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. And I, I, I like looked at my husband like, this is what you're supposed to pick up on, you know? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And like so, that, uh, that's like early stage. Like she could end up being like a doctor or psychologist that saves the world. Cause that's like, oh, legit, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. that's like legit early stage, like um, large levels of awareness of others, right? Which I doubt many five to seven year olds truly have. Yeah, um, yeah that's super, super cool. Um, and then, okay, so like, 
on the uh, on the career side of the coin, right? So like mm-hmm. you've predominantly been mm-hmm. marketing stuff, right? From most of like at least the time you've been back in the U.S. Or have you like bounced around in other places that I might not know about? You know, I would say that the marketing has been since I came back to the States. When I was in Japan, I was teaching English and I was really was really trying to kill time until I knew what I wanted to do because I had an English degree. What was I going to do? You know, like it's easy to say you could do anything. But what does that mean? And so I figured I'm, I'm just going to go to Japan, be there for a couple of years and kind of see where I want to be. So what, um, so twofold, I guess, first on the, um, the working mom side of it, I don't know at the time you were pregnant where you were working, I don't know what your leave was. I know America in general is not good at that. Yeah, Um, um, it was, I had the ability to take three months off, but it was unpaid. Not bad. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, the unpaid bit, you know, kind of put a kind of put a kink in it. It puts um, a damper on it for sure, yeah. Right, but uh, you know, my husband was amazing, and we just tightened our belts and just made it through. And it was it was fantastic to you know get to be at home and and watch her development and really get to spend that bonding time with her. How much did he get at the time? Do you remember? Well, he got quite a bit because I think if I'm right, um, so he works at a hospital and, do, and does phlebotomy, you know, where he's drawing uh-huh. blood. So he would work from, do, 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 do. I think he would do the, the graveyard shift. And so, uh-huh. uh, yeah, so he would be, he'd be gone, you know, for a good chunk of the time. Um, but when she was a baby, you know, I would be, you know, up off and on all night anyhow. And by the time I just wanted to take a nap and she would be, you know, ready just to play, you know, he'd be home and he could kind of sit and sit with her for a bit. So it was this, it was this beautiful thing. And when I did go back to work, we had a friend of mine um, come over and watch her because there was like a 20 minute time frame where there'd be no one with the baby. And so she'd come over, hang out with my daughter for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes when just to help me finish my my getting ready before I left. And then by the time he came in and it was it was fantastic. It was this really amazing thing where she my daughter was with us most of the time. But we did have, you know, coverage. Do you think that it strengthens or it did strengthen y'all's relationship in those three months or? that moment of like first trying to figure out what the hell is even going on with like a small human creature. You know, honestly, it was so stressful. Um, <laughs> we ended up doing six months of uh, marriage counseling at one point. Oh, and really? It was, yeah. Cause I mean, it's, there's a, all of a sudden, all of your priorities change and the other one isn't parenting as you assume that they would parent and they're not on board with your method. And what are you going to do? And you have to, and there's no sleep. And so we, we were blessed enough to be able to do therapy. And there was one time where we didn't have, you know, a sitter and we brought our daughter to our couple's therapy. And I was mortified. I was mortified that we had to do this, that we could, we didn't have coverage. Therapist just loved it. And he watched how both of us responded to her as she moved, you know, and tried to, you know, navigate that, that office. And it was, it was incredible. Cause he just like, you guys take a deep breath. This isn't that bad you guys are fine. And then it was, oh, we're taking ourselves too seriously. Okay. All right. 
I don't know. I mean, does that? I feel like that was kind of a an anticlimactic no, story. No, it's good, and I I feel like um, I uh, I'm never like I'm never totally sold on like the couples therapy stuff. Like I did it with my ex, and it did not work out. But I've had mm-hmm. friends from church where it worked out, especially um, actually all the friends from church I have where it has worked out was like a newer. Uh, kid context or like a firstborn child context so that's kind of like an interesting overlay there um but no i think that that's cool that you brought the kid and it still wasn't like a complete meltdown situation on the adult level or the kid right which is like you would expect you would expect that story to crash and burn in like one of three potential (laughs) and the the fact that it didn't is actually very positive you know yeah so then do you think like um do you think that do you evolve into the working mom thing or does it never uh necessarily get easier like does it get get easier at like school age or like is it always like kind of like a constant uh balancing act slash like feelings of guilt creeping in or whatever or do you does it get is it easier contextually at any point in how you've seen it evolve in your own life so it gets it gets easier but it's always hard like going back to work there is the you know huge emotional pull on every time you look at the clock it's this is the time I feed her I hope she's eating I hope she's fine I hope she's sleeping and it's like okay just stop you you know you got to detach and be present where you're at um but then as 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 she's older and she's in school every time the the school calls and there's a lot of automated calls for all kinds of stuff you see the the name of the elementary school pop up and you're like oh no is everything okay and then it's we're canceling glee this afternoon so be sure and you're like oh okay all right we're fine um and then every time there's a field trip that you can't go on that's that's hard you know and there's a lot of things i've been able to do um you know a lot of flexibility i have at my role but there's some things i can't do and that that's hard yeah, I could see that. I could see that divide. Obviously, I have a uh, my one of my girlfriend's friends. Like she has a probably like at this point, it's like the the son is like a little bit over a year old, right? So the kid goes to a Montessori school downtown, and I was working this uh, 10.99 project where I had to go downtown a bunch and i would park all the time like there was this cool like free streets parking spot like caddy corner of this montessori school that her mm-hmm. friend's son goes to and like legit i would say four to seven times i saw my girlfriend's friend come out of this at drop off and just be like in tears right yeah. and i don't uh that girl specifically, I mean, I'm not close with her. It's just like, you know, uh, she's friends with someone that I'm with. So we're not like super close. I can't um, initiate that conversation with her by any means. But it's like, I would say 75% of those times I'm like, oh man, I should get out of my car and like approach her on the street and just like 
try to be empathetic to the context here, but then I don't know if that's going to be weird, <laughs> right? So right. I, was, I was in a weird contextual spot where like, hey, do I acknowledge that I've seen this from my car? Like, I don't want to come off like I'm stalking you as you drop your child off at daycare. But like, clearly it's very hard for, and I, I mean, I think societally we put a lot of that narrative on women and I think it's hard for guys to, it's just, I think they display it in a different way, probably like the oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. separation from child and like need to earn an income or a living or whatever. I think guys have some of the same struggles. It's just like the societal narrative is like more on women. Um, well, for I know when we put kiddo in daycare, she was like three years old, three or four, you know, like, so she was already potty trained doing, doing good. And there were days where, you know, we'd, we'd switch on who did drop off depending on the schedule. And it would, it would, it would be hard on both. You're right. It would depend on how easily she went inside. You know, if, if it was a bad day and it was a, no, I don't want to go. I want to hang out with you. Then, it, you know, that's, that's hard. Right. It's a peace out. And she runs to her friends. Oh man. All right. We're good. Bye. See yeah. Totally. Yeah. I have, uh, um, I went to, uh, like Catholic preschool. Like I didn't grow up Catholic, but my mom is Catholic. So I got into this like Catholic preschool. And so I don't, you go to preschool at like four. I'm mm-hmm. like, now. so I was uh, I was home like two Thanksgivings ago. So I was probably 36, and I was literally walking on the street, and it was the preschool I went to was like three blocks from where I grew up, mm-hmm. and I was walking on the street, and this chick or uh, a uh, woman like uh, I want to say she was she's not a nun, but she was like a lay leader of this church, right? Okay. She stopped yeah. me on the street and was like, I guess I have a similar facial structure to when I was four. <laughs> she's like, are you, uh, she's like, I'm sorry if this is a weird question, but like, are you Ted Bauer? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, you know, you used to go to preschool here. And that part I knew. And uh, <laughs> she was like, she was like, man, you used to, um, she, She's like, you used to average like four times a week of crying when one of your dropped you off. And I was like, this is such a weird thing for someone to stop a 30-something about on the street. But it did give me maybe a window into my soul at the same time, you know? I was like, man, four times a week. Yeah, I mean, clearly that made some impact because like three decades later, she's like, hey – you used to like cry a lot at drop off. <laughs> so I don't know. Like I didn't want to fully unpack uh, that in my, when I found that story out. But um, I mean, clearly like a four or five year old doesn't have a full context, like brain wise on everything right. that's going on with them. Right. And then the parents are like, they're dealing with their own stuff in terms of like putting adults, together and like put being parents together and like it's a very it's a very complex like emotional and social situation for sure but i feel like any working mom deserves like legit hero status um above like i don't i mean i i know 
we like weirdly like elevate and then also demean single moms like relative to their race oftentimes um i feel like um working moms deserve like a ton of credit that said it's also easy to trash um non like you know stay-at-home moms like i feel like i see that narrative a lot too and some stay-at-home moms are completely like superficial terrible people but a lot of stay-at-home moms are like (laughs) doing their best in and of themselves you know i live near this like uh they built like a luxury development that has all these like big luxury brand name stores or whatever and there's a starbucks over there and uh one contract thing that I'm doing, I have to meet a guy at that Starbucks like every uh, every two three weeks, and it's like all um, stay at home moms with like two strollers or the double wide stroller, right? And oh, like, yeah. I'm, yeah, but they all seem like like just to hear them interact, whatever. They all seem like nice people. They're like trying to build community or whatever. So I don't understand why we drag that population just because maybe like they can make it work on one income or one income plus whatever i don't think anybody's necessarily like better than anybody else you know everybody's dealing right. with their stuff yeah um yeah well, and one of the uh, things i heard about that i thought would was interesting was people talking about how to you know level the playing field when we think about you know working moms this doesn't really help single moms right. um but uh you know to level the playing field career-wise and that would be to give uh the dads the same amount of leave when a baby's born. So if the mom gets three months, the dad gets three months and they both take it and then they're sharing the responsibility. So it impacts both careers the same way, you know, cause you're both taking time off and now there's not that stigma around, Oh, I can't promote you because you're already a month pregnant and I'm right. going to lose you soon. And then I thought that was fascinating. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it would work, but it's a fun thing to try. Yeah. So that's the last thing I was going to ask you about, not to go down that rabbit hole, but like what, um, okay, what do you think, this is probably a very wide, like far reaching answer, but like, what do you think, what would it take for us to like level up on like gender and diversity, or I don't know if you want to define it as sex or gender or whatever, um vocabulary we use but like i feel like the conversation has advanced i sometimes worry about like i think me too is like starting to have outcomes like weinstein getting a sentence as an outcome like putting putting aside people like louis ck and stuff is a good outcome i think like i worry about the fact that like we may be talking about like Trump versus Biden as a general election that doesn't feel like a good me too type reflection, you know? So like, what do you think, uh, like, what do you think it would actually take to get us like further along on like acknowledgement and like true diversity, you know? Like, do you, do you think there's like a starter kit that we could like move forward on? You know, I would say honestly that, it would it would help if there were and you see this in salesforce right um and i think salesforce could could take it a bit further where salesforce went and they said you know we're gonna pay 
people the same regardless of gender. And then when they figured out that the females were making noticeably less, suddenly they all got raises. But I think if there was um, reports that went out internally and probably internally only of, hey, everybody at this salary or everybody at this title makes this, you know, this range. And then you could see and you could you could self-identify, oh, I make a lot less or, oh, I'm, right. I'm, you know, at the head of the curve, then you would have more ability to negotiate for more um, or at least figure out why you're not, you know, at the top of the curve, why you're not setting that. Um, I think that's a huge thing. And I also think when you look at, um, I think it's in Europe where they have mandates that uh, boards need to have, it, it's 20% women um, mm. by a certain date. I think if we had that here, then it's okay. You know, like now we have to have women in upper leadership. So we have to start developing them sooner so we can elevate them. Because right now we've got more women that are college educated than ever. Yep. But the amount in leadership has plateaued and it plateaued 20 years ago. Right. So why are we turning out more women graduates who do better in school and have higher cumulative GPAs and we're not doing anything with them? You can't tell right. me that the men just suddenly got smart as soon as they graduated. No, not at all. Do you buy the, what's your take on the, the pregnancy exit thing? Do you buy that as part of the narrative? Like I, I personally feel like there are guys that become like middle managers to high middle managers in like mid-sized to big places who have this like, even though maybe they have three kids, they have this like huge, huge stigma against like pregnancy in a biz context, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a bias and a stigma for sure. But I know there are people like on Twitter who'll be like, these numbers are all screwed up because we're not taking into account that women exit during like a period of their 20s or 30s. So do you buy that as like a like, do you think that that's a truthful narrative? Do you think that like people overplay that or whatever? I think they overplay it. I think they overplay it because they're afraid of promoting women because strangely, they're not promoting women who are lesbian and don't want kids and aren't in relationships. So right. why are they being penalized just like me? That doesn't make sense. Right. And right. It, that, I mean, that just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense when you, when you get into the nitty gritty. I think it's just an, another excuse to keep playing the way you're playing. Um, and that sucks, but that, you know, I think right. that is the way it is. Right. Yeah. So, so do you think like, okay, within your, here's my finale. <laughs> within your, within your, no, within your daughter's lifetime, do you think that we'll get uh, significantly further along? You see stuff sometimes people put these headlines that are like it'll take 271 years to like fully ease the gender inequality gap or you know i think hbr had that one right right um do you think that in uh do you think that in your daughter's lifetime we'll get like closer you know i don't know and i i don't know if it's gonna we're not gonna make incremental like steady incremental growth, right? And I wish we could say that's how we do it, but we don't. You look at even the civil rights movement and we're talking in Alabama when you had Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, it went from 
Rosa Parks being arrested for sitting on a bus to six months later, boom, there's the equality we've been asking for. Right. If right. you ask Rosa in a jail cell, do you when do you think you'll have equality? She wouldn't say, oh, in seven months. Right. And that I say that and I know we still have a long road on that. We still have a lot more to do. Um, however, that was a seven or a six month gap that was huge. So I don't know. Maybe we just need a, you know, another watershed moment where these things happen. I don't know. I mean, typically those watershed moments hurt. So here's hoping right. we figure it out step by step. Right. Or maybe this, maybe all this health stuff that we're trying to uh, curb the spread of. I kind of hope it brings us back to like a little bit more priority and purpose driven uh, focus, you know, where we're like, yeah. oh, hey, like maybe family and like connection and stuff like does matter more than like KPIs. <laughs> like maybe That's like the hope. Oh. Yeah.